Well, welcome to you wherever you are at this weekend, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us. I hope you're having a great summer. Before we jump into our teaching series, if you have not yet discovered this incredible resource called the U Version, uh, I would encourage you to go on your apps uh, in your app store, uh, search for U Version. It's absolutely free. Uh, many different translations of the Bible all kinds of reading plans, whatever topic might be of interest to you. You can search and find an abundance of things that will get you into God's truth, uh, video clips, uh, and uh, also uh, on the lower right-hand corner, if you have that app, click on the menu, you'll see events, click on events, search for Arlington FM, and there you'll find a complete set of notes for today's message. Well, we are in a brief two-part series called Just Do This. And uh, it's based on this idea that before Jesus left this earth, after he had cultivated and uh, raised up leaders who would uh, move the church and his message of hope forward, he, uh, he left them with some final marching orders. Uh, you might say it's like a coach uh, meeting with his team. Uh, you know, the stands are packed. Uh, the music is playing. Uh, it's ready for kickoff time. And uh, the coach gathers the team, and he has a few final words. And essentially saying, look, uh, whatever else happens when you get to the field, when you get engaged in the, in the battle, just do this. And that's the heart of Jesus as he's uh, gathered with his disciples in the upper room. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, uh, everyone will know that you're my followers if you love one another. And uh, last week we saw how easy it is to do everything but that one thing. And uh, if you can identify in your own life, you know, sometimes uh, you do something really, really well, but it was the wrong thing. And I mentioned my college research paper, a great paper, wrong book, or things that my wife had asked me to do. And uh, perhaps I'd done some other things really well, but didn't just do this and uh, ended up in the doghouse. Well, uh, this weekend, uh, we're going to look at part two of that series where Jesus said, you know, just love one another. And last week, we saw one of the ways that we can just do that is by the words that we speak to each other. Well, uh, this weekend, we're going to look at uh, the second part of that, which is stop holding grudges. Uh, you know, speak words of love and stop holding grudges for your offenses. Uh, Jesus told an amazing story of a man who was forgiven an incredible debt. And the first thing he did is went out and found uh, someone who owed him some money, a far less amount. Uh, but he, he wouldn't forgive the debt as he had been forgiven. Instead, he had the guy arrested and thrown into debtor's prison. And uh, wrong choice. In fact, uh, Paul would later write these words to a group of Christ followers. He said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You're not in this alone. God's with you. He's in you. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. There's what we touched on last week, along with every other form of malice. And do this. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So I want you to watch uh, this excerpt from a message series called One Another on uh, the, the call from God to stop 
holding grudges. And today, I wanna talk about our conflicts. And specifically, not just any conflicts, not just the conflicts that come and, that are, you know, that come and go, that are, are gone as soon as they arrive. I wanna talk about the conflicts that linger. I wanna talk about the conflicts that last. I wanna talk about our grudges. And we all hold grudges. And by grudge, I don't mean like deep-seated hatred or necessarily like elaborate evil revenge plans. No, by a grudge, I simply mean this right here, getting mad and staying mad at someone. Getting mad and staying mad at someone. I mean, it's like the time when your spouse snaps at you in front of your friends and there's no recognition, there's no apology, they just go to bed. And they make the classic mistake of thinking that everything's gonna be fine in the morning. <laughs> and we all know how that goes down. It's like, good morning. Hi, how are you doing? Fine. Is everything okay? Yeah, sure. Is everything okay with you? Wait, what, what's wrong? What, what's wrong? The fact that you have to ask, that's what's wrong. I can't even do this right. That's a grudge, right? Some of y'all weren't ready to get that real this morning. Uh, or like at work, it's like when your coworker starts talking trash about you in the break room and you hear about it and you're like, mm, and now you're avoiding this person. You're trying to keep them out of meetings if you can. And for the last month, everything in your mind has been a competition. And you're like, that's right, Randy. These sales numbers don't look like someone who's not gonna be here very long. You're not gonna be here very long. <laughs> you know, that's a grudge. Or it happens on social media all the time. Like when somebody makes a snarky or insulting comment about you and maybe they don't even tag you. And you were like, oh no, you did not. And now you are 23 comments deep with this person and you're getting friends to help you craft responses, right? Anybody done that? I've done that. Uh, that's a grudge, right? The uh, de dictionary definition of a grudge is this, a persistent feeling of ill will or resentment resulting from a perceived injury or offense. And we all hold grudges with the people in our lives. Some of us for days, some of us for weeks, some of us for months, but we all hold them. Why? Because grudges feel good. I mean, grudges just kind of, they feel right, at least on the surface, right? Like, ooh, I'm gonna get him. Oh, I'm gonna show her. They're gonna get what's coming to them. I mean, we may not like to admit it, but grudges kind of feel good. That's why we all tend to hold them. But there's just one problem with holding grudges. They don't actually work. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that holding a grudge doesn't really work? Here's how I know that. Because many of us are still holding on to one. Like you picked up a grudge days ago or weeks ago or months ago, and you're still holding it. Like whatever it was supposed to accomplish, it clearly hasn't accomplished. You're still unhappy, they're still unhappy. You're still hurt, they're still hurt. The only thing that's changed is the date on the calendar. But number two, I have never in all of my life heard a happy grudge story. You ever heard a happy grudge story? No, like you've never heard somebody go, man, my friend and I got in the biggest fight and we were mad at each other for a month. It was awesome, you know? No one's like, oh, my mother-in-law and I like hate each other because she's always, always trying to tell us how to parent our kids. I love the holidays, you know? Nobody ever says that. No one's ever grateful for a grudge. No one celebrates a grudge. It is always unpleasant and it is always detrimental. Why? Because getting mad and staying mad at someone, it doesn't just affect them, does it? Who does it affect? Yeah, you and me. I mean, we hold a grudge under the premise that we're gonna get them back, 
but we're the ones thinking about it. We're the ones angry about it. We're the ones distracted by it. We're the ones having those imaginary conversations with them in our heads. Isn't it weird how we all do that? I know you do it too. We're the ones dealing with day two anger or like week two anger. You know what day two anger is? Like when you thought you were just frustrated, but then you went to bed and let it simmer. And then you woke up a hot mess, you know? And you're like kicking the dog, you're irritated at the kids, you're snapping at your spouse, you're distracted the whole workday plotting this other person's destruction. And by the time you come home, you are like emotionally and mentally exhausted. And this whole time, what has your grudge actually done to the other person? Yeah, like basically nothing. I mean, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, having fun with it, but I mean, that's pretty much how it goes. Because there's a sinister thing about a grudge. And it's this right here, the sinister thing about a grudge is that the more you hold on to a grudge, the more it has a hold on you. Isn't that true? The more you hold on to a grudge, the more it has a hold on you. And this is why every single one of us in the room has seen a grudge make home miserable, a friendship awkward, a workplace tense. And it's why every one of us could recount a story of a time when a grudge ripped family members or friends or work, you know, coworkers, or most recently a nation apart. I mean, truly, I can't remember a time in my life when grudges felt more prominent than they have in this last season. Like this last year has been marked by a significant uptick in persistent feelings of ill will resulting from a perceived injury or offense. I mean, as individuals, we spent the last year cooped up at home with like work life and personal life stacked on top of each other. Uh, perhaps you were isolated or perhaps you were managing kids running around, you know, in the back of your Zoom calls and your spouse suddenly there 24-7, you know. And then as a nation, we, we went through a health crisis, a racial crisis, a presidential election, and battle lines were drawn in like almost every arena. And, and if you're like me, you felt it on both fronts. You were faced with an unprecedented number of opportunities to get at odds with people at home, even though you love them dearly while simultaneously being offered by the news or social media or maybe your group text, an unprecedented number of reasons to get at odds with somebody in the community. Y'all, we have spent the last year being set up for or even baited towards holding grudges of one kind or another. And I suspect we all got them. In fact, I bet you're thinking of one right now. They come to mind pretty quick. I bet you're thinking of a person or a group of people or a category of people. I am. And whether it is a deep-seated lasting grudge or it's simply the ups and downs of everyday relationships fresh off a pandemic, I suspect we're all holding grudges of some kind. And I also suspect that they are holding us right back. And they are hurting our relationships and stealing our joy and robbing our focus and disrupting our community and undermining our influence. And deep down, we all know that's a problem. I mean, I think we all know that our standard approach to conflict, like as a culture, it isn't getting us where we or where God wants us to be. And I think we all know that, but if you're anything like me, I bet many of us also feel a little stuck. And here's why. Because many of us have probably spent most of our lives developing in this last season entrenching a dangerous habit 
when it comes to our conflicts, a habit that sustains conflict rather than diffuses it, a habit that all but ensures that conflicts will turn into grudges that get a hold on us. And until we as a culture and we as individuals and we as friends and families, until we change this habit, we are gonna have a very difficult time having the relationships that we're all hoping for, the national dialogue and the sense of unity that we're all eager for, or even the personal peace and joy that we're all looking for. But church family, to take it a step further, until or unless we change this habit, we're never gonna be known for what we're supposed to be known for. Because it is impossible, not just difficult, it is impossible to love one another the way Jesus has loved us while indulging this specific habit that we're gonna talk about today. And so in the name of that, I would like to invite us and encourage us this morning to consider and put into practice a revolutionary approach to our conflicts given to us by the Apostle Paul. An approach that has the power to break the hold of grudges on our lives or on our families or on our friend groups or on our uh, workplaces and on our country. And as with the principle last week, whether you are religious or not, if you will start doing what I'm about to read to you, it will immediately begin to make your life and your relationships in our community better. I promise. But if you are a Jesus follower, what I'm about to read to you and to us is not optional for us because it is right at the epicenter of Jesus' command to us as a church. And it's found in Paul's letter to a church at the center of uh, political power, uh, cultural debate, a city full of diversity and division and political intrigue. It's found in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And he says to them these words, he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of others. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. The implied context here is that somebody has done evil to you. Someone's wronged you. Someone has offended you. And for starters, it's nice to kind of just nice to hear Paul acknowledge and recognize that what the person did to you is evil. Like we like seeing that word right there. Uh, thank you. That's nice. He's not like, ah, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. No, what she said to you was evil. What he did to you was evil or at least how it made you feel or the impact that it had on your life. That was evil. And that's really important as we start this conversation that the starting point this morning isn't, oh, get over it or oh, forget about it. No, no, no. The starting point is a recognition that you have a legitimate reason to be upset. You have a legitimate reason to want revenge. You have a legitimate reason to hold a grudge. And I love that. I appreciate that. But perhaps even more importantly, Paul recognizes and even calls out that our first inclination in any situation is to repay evil with evil, to repay an offense with an offense. And that's the habit that we're talking about today. We have both a natural inclination and a practiced habit of repaying evil with evil. And it's a habit that starts way early in life. I mean, you remember being a kid. I've got four of them. I see it all the time. When somebody punches you, you punch them back harder. When somebody knocks your blocks over, you knock them over. When somebody insults you, you insult their mom. I mean, that's just how it goes. It's as basic and as instinctive as it gets. And it's not like there's a point in life when we suddenly trade out that habit for a new one. No, you might get more mature, your, your thresholds might get higher. 
Your revenge mechanisms might become more sophisticated and more veiled, you know, instead of actually hitting somebody, maybe you just are cold or manipulative or sarcastic or whatever. But no, 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 barring intervention, this habit doesn't go away. It just grows up. And that's why it's a habit that we have all probably spent most of our lives developing and many of us have spent the last season entrenching in our lives. We repay evil for evil. And God, through the apostle Paul says, you gotta stop that. Don't do that. You've gotta break this habit. Why? Because revenge never happens like you think it's gonna happen. It never works like you think it will. Have you ever realized this? Like it, it, you think, here's what we always think. I'll get revenge and then we'll be what? Even, and then it'll be over. <laughs> but that never happens. Like it's never just evil for evil because when you repay evil for evil, what does the other person then repay you with? Yeah, gift cards and a back massage. No, more evil, right? And so it becomes evil for evil for evil for evil for evil until it looks something like this. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what a grudge looks like. Evil for evil for evil. Offense for offense for offense. And some of you are like, that looks familiar. You're like, hey, that's Twitter. Yeah, that's Twitter. <laughs> hey, that's like the nightly news. Hey, that's politics. Yeah, it kind of feels like it sometimes. Or maybe some of you are like, man, I've, I've had some days that looked like that this last year at home. Yeah, I think, I think we all did. Or man, that was my friend group last month, major drama going on. Or that's what work feels like now. Or hey, that's what happens when my extended family gets together. Yeah. Some of us have had days like this. Some of you have had months like this. And some of you are going on years caught in a cycle of evil for evil, offense for offense for offense for offense. And that, by the way, is exactly what we end up building. We end up building fences with our offenses. The apostle Paul is simply suggesting an interruption. He's suggesting that we interrupt the cycle of evil for evil. He's saying, hey, I don't know how long your line normally is, but it's something like evil for evil for evil for evil for blank. And now here's you. Or there's where you're gonna be with your spouse or your friend or your coworker or somebody on social media one day soon. And Paul is saying, for starters, I just want you to decide not to put evil in the blank. I just want you to decide that I'm not gonna continue the cycle I'm not gonna continue with this habit. I'm not gonna put evil. I'm not gonna put get even. I'm not gonna put hold a grudge in the blank. To which everyone's natural reaction is, eh. I mean, that doesn't really feel right. I mean, did you see what they did? Have you seen their offenses? What about them? To which Paul responds, this isn't about them. Here's what this is about. This is what he says next. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
This isn't about them. This is about you. This is about you doing your part for peace as far as it depends on you. And revenge is not your part. Look what he says next. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And y'all, this is where God's probably gonna get most up in your business this morning, so I apologize in advance. But the Apostle Paul is quoting God directly as recorded in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament where God says, I, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And this is the part of the passage that ought to give us extraordinary peace about this really awkward, hard, and countercultural thing that Paul is inviting us to do. Because he says, when you do not take revenge, Paul's saying somebody far more capable gets involved. God says, I will repay. I will personally respond to the evil done to you. Now question, who do you think is better at getting revenge? You or God? You can talk in our church, it's okay. Yeah, God is way better than you at getting revenge. I mean, we all intuitively understand that. But not only that, God knows how to do it right. Because you see, when you and I respond to evil, all we usually ever wanna do is hurt. All we ever wanna do is hurt back, hit back, insult back, steal back, offend back. All you and I know to do is hurt, but God, God knows how to heal. And God wants to heal you. And God wants to heal your situation. And God wants to heal the other person. God is way better at responding to evil than you or I will ever be. But we gotta look what it says. We gotta leave room. We gotta leave room. So, some, so many of us, we're so set on getting revenge and repaying evil for evil that there's no room for God to get in and do his thing. And God is like, get out of my way. Quit taking my job. Leave room for me. I'll handle it. And when we do, when we do not take revenge, but leave room for God, our hands become free to do something else, something incredibly powerful. And what Paul says next is the main point of this passage. And it's the main point of today. He says to these Romans, this church in Rome, he says, do not be overcome with evil. Our way of holding grudges and repaying evil for evil, it pretty much ensures that it is gonna overcome us. Why? Because the more you hold on to a grudge, the more it has a hold on you and your family or your friends or your coworkers and our community. But it is not the only option. There is another option and it is the secret for breaking this habit in our lives. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Have you ever seen sweetness diffuse someone's saltiness? Have you ever seen a hug dissipate an argument? Have you ever seen an act of service fall in icy tension? Or have you ever seen owning and apologizing turn enemies into friends? You seen that? That's how you break the cycle of a grudge. That's how you stop evil 
in its tracks. When it's your turn, you don't keep building the fence, you start taking it apart. You start saying, when you do evil to me, I'm gonna do good to you. And when you do evil to me again, I'm gonna do good to you again. In fact, no matter what you do, I've already decided, I already know how I'm gonna respond as far as it depends on me. As far as it depends on me, I'm gonna live at peace. I'm gonna do good. I'm not gonna let this evil overcome me and I am not gonna let this evil overcome us. I'm gonna do good to you because you're someone I care about or at a minimum, you are someone that I am called to care for. So I am gonna overcome this evil with the only thing in the world that can overcome it. I'm gonna overcome it with good. And now all of a sudden, you realize that you built something different. Because I no longer have a fence. I no longer have a barrier. What do I have? Yeah. I got a bridge. I've just built a bridge. And now all of a sudden, peace is possible. Now all of a sudden, reconciliation is possible. Now all of a sudden healing is possible, at least as far as it depends on me. And now all of a sudden, like we have a chance, no matter how small it is, we have a chance as a family, or we have a chance as friends, or we got a chance as coworkers, or we have a chance as a nation to start telling a different story from even evil for evil for evil for evil. Now we got a chance. But it'll only happen if you and I decide to be bridge builders rather than fence builders. It's only gonna happen if you and I decide to start building bridges rather than barriers. Well, I wanna invite you to uh, share a prayer with me. What a great message and a great invitation to let go of the things that uh, not only uh, we imprison others with our thoughts and attitudes and our offenses, but we really hold ourselves back. And uh, I just wanna thank God for this truth that we, we can be liberated, we can be set free from the need uh, to hold offenses. No matter how deeply we've been offended, we can walk in that spirit of forgiveness uh, in which we uh, have been forgiven by God. So join me in a prayer. Father, thank you for the graciousness that is in your heart toward us. Uh, thank you that uh, your word says you don't keep track of our offenses. And Lord, though they are many, uh, you chose to separate us from them, uh, to separate us from our sins as far as the east is from the west, and uh, to cast them into the deepest part of the sea. And, and Lord, we just want to pause for a minute and thank you for forgiveness. Uh, thank you that we don't have to earn your favor. Thank you that we don't have to live in the shame and the failure of having uh, not met your standards. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, you are rich in mercy. Uh, thank you that uh, though you were rich, you became poor so that we could become rich. We could be forgiven our debt, live debt free. And uh, so Lord, we just wanna pray for the appropriate response. Uh, that as you invite us to be known, to be famous for the love that we have for each other and for people. And Lord, such a crucial part of that 
is our decision to not hold grudges, to not harbor in our hearts resentment, as we have heard, as far as it's possible with us to be at peace with all people, even our enemies, Lord, even those who have slandered us or offended us or done us wrong or traumatized us, Lord, as hard as that can be sometimes, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, you would do something uh, internally in us that allows us to be quick to forgive and, and quick to release others from their debts that they might owe to us. Lord, thank you for the freedom and the liberty to live as your people, to love each other well, uh, to make you known in all the world uh, by this one thing, by the quality with which we love one another. We pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.